All right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, open them up to the book of Luke. We're going to be continuing a series we started two weeks ago called Reignite. Reignite, turning up our passion for how God wants to use us in 2021, believing that God wants to use us to advance His kingdom. And we're talking about five different values for our church, five different values for us to embrace and us to live out as a community, not just as individuals, but also as a community together. We talked about being a sending church two weeks ago, and then we sent off April and Joe Walters to help plant a church in Long Branch. Last week, we talked about being a praying church, how we, how we want to be a, a group of people who take seriously the importance of prayer and really believe that prayer changes things. Prayer causes things to happen. Prayer makes a difference. And, 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 and with each of these things, each of these values, we want to give handles on ramps for what that's going to look like in practice for us as a group throughout the year. Next week, we're going to talk about being a, a, a healing church, what it means to embrace uh, the promise of supernatural healing. And then this week, this week, we're going to talk about being a justice-seeking church church, a justice-seeking church. I asked Pastor Bill Meyer from Alive Again Alliance Church to come speak on this topic on this particular weekend. The reason that we scheduled this topic for this weekend is because of the weekend that it is. There are two dates. There are two things that we are observing as a country on this weekend, whether, whether people are aware of it or not. First of all, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., his birthday was Friday. His, uh, the federal holiday that uh, celebrates his birthday is tomorrow. And then there's also Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is today. It's the third Sunday of January, where we uh, observe and, 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 and consider the uh, human rights of the unborn. So we've got two different justice issues represented on one weekend in January. Uh, there's a whole lot of other justice issues th that we could talk about and that we will talk about. Um, but I thought it was appropriate for this weekend in particular to ask Bill Meyer to preach on this topic. Um, as, uh, he, after he preaches, I'm going to share some of the things that we are doing as a church, some of the things we have coming up as a church potentially that we're going to be seeking to do together. Um, I mentioned in the first service that in addition to um, doing justice, doing things together, um, we also want to continue to learn uh, about some of the injustices that are out there, learn about some of the uh, controversial topics and issues that are out there, learn all the ins and outs of it as best we can. Uh, Tom Sargent and I are going to be launching another series of podcasts, uh, a justice series starting in February, where we're going to look at five different issues, five different areas of injustice or, or five different uh, areas where uh, more justice needs to be brought to bear. Um, those five issues are the, the, the unborn, um, the fatherless, the hungry, victims of human trafficking, and then the foreigner. So we're going to be looking at those five areas. We're going to look at how they uh, affect uh, different minority groups in different ways. Uh, but those are the five areas of, of justice that we're going to tackle in that podcast. Um, and so those are just some of the things that we're, we're we, we, again, practical ways. We, we don't just want to preach on this, but we want to put it into practice. 
Um, at the very end of service, we've got a video testimony. So it's a, it's a jam-packed day, um, but, but I think it's very, very, very important for Pastor Bill Meyer to have come and kind of get us started thinking about this for the year. So Pastor Bill Meyer is, like I said, the pastor of Alive Again Alliance Church. He's a good friend of mine. He's been a, a mentor figure in my life for the last few years. He's been a blessing to me personally. Uh, indirectly, he's been a blessing to you guys, whether you know it or not. He is also Rebecca Carlson's father. He's Nick Carlson's father-in-law. And uh, I won't do any more in introduction there. Come on up here, Pastor Bill. Give it up for Pastor Bill Meyer. Whoa, there you go. Wow, this thing is a little bit messed up here. Um, as uh, Chris already said, my name is Bill. I'm so thankful for, to be here with you guys today and uh, really counted a privilege to share um, on this very, very important subject, um, Chris failed to mention that the thing that I'm most famous for is that I am Jonah and Evan's grandpa. So that, that is something that is really uh, one of my joys in my life. Um, and as has already been mentioned, oh, oh, that's, as has already been mentioned, um, Monday is Martin Luther King Day. And, uh, you know, for many of it's a day off, for many of it's, a, you know, a day off of school, um, but it's really a time in our, in our country in which we are, are supposed to focus on the issue of injustice, particularly as it affects um, the issue of civil rights. And um, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember, but I do remember um, the, the March on Washington and uh, seeing Dr. King uh, against the backdrop of the Lincoln Memorial and hearing his words. And I do remember um, hearing um, for the very first time live, actually, um, as it was carried by um, CBS and probably Walter Cronkite commenting on it, um, his why I have a dream speech. And so many of his comments and his quotes uh, are become, have become part of our American lexicon. He is a, a great, he was a great preacher. He was a great speaker. Uh, he he, he uh, was part of, of course, the, the black church that has a, a wonderful heritage of preaching. Uh, and one of the particularly meaningful quotes that, that Dr. King um, gave during those days is, I think, really relevant for the time that we are living through in these days, and um, it's pretty well known. Uh, I'd like to share it with you. It says, he said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Now, my son-in-law um, is here listening to this message, and so he may afterwards have a discussion with me about the fact that 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 phrase was not actually originated by Martin Luther King, but he certainly is the one who made that phrase very, very famous. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And, and what is he saying? And Chris, I got to tell you, I forgot to start my timer, brother. So I'm glad we're in the second uh, service here. Um, 
What is he saying when he says that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice? Is he saying that he is hopes, he has this hope, and he lives with this possibility that even though things are as bad as they are, that someday things are going to be set right, that justice is going to prevail. And, and you might ask yourself the question, how could a person who spent time in jail because of his fighting for civil rights. How could a, a person who represented a community of people that had police dogs turned on them and fire hoses turned on them to prevent them from, from, uh, from achieving the, the rights that, that they were seeking, how could a person have that kind of optimism? Well, the reason that he could have this kind of optimism is because Dr. King was a Christian. And uh, as a Christian, he believed that God is the God of history and works in history to bring about his ultimate purposes. As believers, we must hold to the idea that history is not meaningless, that history is not, me is not random, that history is heading someplace. And where history is heading and where Dr. King believed history was heading is what we call the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. And one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God is justice because God, the king of that kingdom, is just. It's very interesting that in our metropolitan district, a key part of our mission is kingdom and justice mercy. In fact, that's how it's described. And this is how kingdom and justice mercy that is part of our mission statement is elaborated on in our mission statement. This is what it says. It says, we initiate reconciliation, restoration, and service to the broken and disenfranchised as a mandate of Christ. In other words, Christ calls us to live this way. He did not only come to save, but he also call, came to restore humanity. And so I, I want to point out that if God is just, and one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God is justice, and a key component of our district's mission is kingdom justice and mercy, then turning our passion for how God wants, us, wants to use us Turning up our passion for how God wants to use us means to align our hearts with God's heart for justice and to be a justice-seeking church. One of the passages in the Gospels that portrays God as having a heart for justice is Luke 18, 1 through 8. And you may have read this passage many times yourself and you think that it's a passage about persevering in prayer, and that's part of what it's asking us to do, but it's really grounded in the character of God who is just. And so I want to read uh, this passage for you. It says, uh, and starting in verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. There's that word, justice. And um, if you could go to the next slide there. And for, you told me I could use this, bro, so if I'm going to use it, i got to get on there. So for a while he refused, but after he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her 
justice. There's that word again, justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And go to the next slide. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not give God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The key part of this passage of scripture that has to do with justice it is, is that it is contrasting an earthly, ungodly judge who doesn't care about justice with God whose very character is to bring about justice for his people. Now, many of you may have come from a Roman Catholic background, and if you did, you probably remember some, of the, some additional books to the Old Testament that are not in our Protestant Bibles. This is what is called the Deuterocanonical books. And many people, not many people, it's a fact that these books were available to the Jewish people and to Jesus uh, during his day. Uh, actually, Paul quotes from some of these books in his, um, in his uh, epistles. Uh, and and uh, a passage that Jesus was most certainly familiar with from one of these books called the book of Sirach and that some Bible scholars think may actually have informed this parable that Jesus told says this and listen to what it says. It says, for he is a God of justice who knows no favorites. The prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds. It does not reach till it reaches its goal, nor will it, with, nor will it withdraw till the Most High responds, judges justly, and affirms the right. Uh, if I listen to this passage of scripture, it's this, not scripture, of this reading, it sounds a bit like uh, this parable. And it sounds a little bit like the quote that I started with from Dr. King, God has a heart for justice, and if this is true, he wants his people to be a people of justice and his church to be a justice-seeking church. In Micah chapter 6, we read these words, which are very familiar to many of us. It says, with what, he, uh, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And what, uh, what the people are asking is, you know, is, are, you, are you worried about how good we're worshiping? How generous we are in our time? Um, that we are doing the burnt offerings the way that you tell us to do. Are you, is that what you care about, Lord? And the Lord says this. He says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so I think that we can agree that God has a heart for justice. And his people should be people who pursue justice. And his, just, his church should be a justice-seeking church. But justice to one person may not be justice to someone else. It's very interesting. Uh, I was having a very lively uh, fight yesterday on Facebook. I don't usually do that, but I was around the issue of capital punishment, uh, which is definitely something, is, is, uh, something we should think about as pro-life pro people, what our position is on that particular issue. Um, 
And uh, one person made a comment and said, well, you have to be very careful about this word justice because it can be a slippery slope. And so what she was saying is that what, what is justice to one person may not be justice to someone else. As, as one writer put it, he said, before we can become active participants in bending the arc of the moral universe, we have to know what we are bending it toward. How we define justice will determine the work that we do to achieve it, and unless we do the work to define justice, we never will. And so I just want to take a very brief moment and define this word, justice. What do we mean when we talk about justice? What is justice? And uh, we need to agree about what we're talking about when we talk about justice. And, and I like the classical definition of justice. This is the definition that was used in pre-Christian eras and then was adopted by the early church and has become the foundation of Christian ethics. And the, the definition is the act of justice is to give each person his due. The act of justice is to give to each person his due. And uh, some folk who write on this issue have, have actually uh, identified this reality that it's actually easier to understand what justice is by thinking about this term injustice. And so these two words help us to really hone in on what we are thinking about, justice and injustice. And it's in, during the conference this past year, I heard a very simple definition of injustice. Injustice is when something is not the way it is supposed to be. And so we have these two parts of thinking about justice and injustice. Justice is the act of giving each person what their due is, or what is due them, and injustice is when something is not the way it is supposed to be. So let's, let, let's stop and consider where we are. First of all, God has a heart for justice, and his people are to be people who pursue justice, and his church is to be a justice-seeking church. That means that we need to be concerned as God's people that people are getting what is due. And, what, and as God's people, we need to get involved in changing things when we see that something is not the way that it is supposed to be. And if you live your life out just with those two concerns, we're going to make great progress in trying to understand, trying to be people who do justice. But here's another part of the problem. And here's another question that we have to think about. It is the question, who decides? Who decides? Who decides what each person is due? Who decides when something is not the way that it is supposed to be? Now, the reason that that is such a difficult question in our culture is because we have moved from a culture that is grounded in a philosophy called foundationalism, and foundationalism believes that there are true truths. I grew up believing that black was black and white was white. Uh, I grew up believing that, that, uh, that one plus one equals two. We live in a world where those kinds of things are actually being questioned, and so this idea of foundationalism and the idea that there are true truths is being questioned, and so we, we are 
we are just confused about what is right and what is wrong. What are people do and what are they not do? Where, how, what, what are right things and what are wrong things that we, that we see? How, th how are things actually supposed to be? So we're moving to a question where everything, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And this sets us up for the worst kind of injustice. And friends, this is, no, this is why no matter how bad things get, no, how, no matter how marginalized the gospel witness and the word of God becomes in our culture, no matter how much confusion there is, I cannot and I will not give up on God and his book because this answers the question of what is right, what is wrong, and who decides? And so God, first of all, decides in the Old Testament. Now, many of us participate in annual Bible readings. In our church, we're going to start in the middle of February, a year in the Bible. This is not an advertisement for our church, but we're really excited about this. We're going to read through the entire Bible, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, and a psalm, five days a week. And our preaching is going to come out of the previous, uh, the, the reading for the week. And so we're all going to, as a church, be focused on, on the Bible. Uh, and when you read through the Bible, if you've ever tried to do it, you come to the book of Leviticus and you say, I can skip that. Don't do that. Because yes, there's lots of hard things in the book of Leviticus, but also many of these questions about what is right and what is wrong and who decides are answered in the book of Leviticus. So for interest, God is pretty specific in terms of what he considers is do a person, and it's one of the reasons for the Old Testament law. So one of the things that God says is do a person is fairness. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 36 says, We shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just tin. Those are, those are various kinds of measurements. And I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so what this is saying is that according to God's rules, justice demands that everyone gets a fair chance and a fair a fair share. It's not okay for us to cheat in business. It's not okay to withhold from a person their wage. That's all wrapped up in this idea of fairness. And then uh, another thing that God cares about is mercy. And he says this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your land right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. That's a, a foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now, one thing, do you see how he's tying to their relationship to God with doing the right thing, behaving in the right way. And, uh, and this is talking about this custom uh, that God commanded to leave the edges of your field, not harvest, so the poor people could come in and could get their grain and could get their food from that harvest. Uh, that's what the book of, the, of Ruth is all about. That's what happened in the book of Ruth. Ruth went in as a, as a poor widow, and she harvested in Boaz's field. And so this is telling us that according to God's rules, justice demands that the poor are provided for and that we confront structures that keep people in poverty. Another thing that God cares about is welcome. 
He says in verse Levit in Leviticus 19:13, he says, "You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you." And the stranger, in some passages of scripture, is translated foreigner. In some places, it's translated alien. Alien, you shall treat the stranger, the alien, the alien, the foreigner who sojourns with you as a native. And in some passages, this is translated citizen as a native or as a citizen among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so according to God's rules, justice demands that people who are outsiders have a chance to become insiders. And then another thing, and this is not an exhausted list. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on, uh, which I sometimes like to do, but I'm not allowed to today because we are in a tight schedule. Uh, another thing that God cares about is integrity. He says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to, to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. According to God's rules, justice demands that no one should gain an unfair advantage by fraud, deception, or dishonest gain. And then God decides in the New Testament. Well, you might be saying to yourself, well, that's the Old Testament. But in the very beginning of the gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 7, Jesus reiterates some of the key passages from the law, from the Torah, and he redefines them. He makes them even more binding upon us and says, the good news, the kingdom, goes beyond the Torah and how we live out justice. For instance, Jesus said, if someone needs a coat, give him yours. If someone asks you to carry a burden, go for a mile. Go to. If somebody asks you to carry a burden for a mile, go to. If someone strikes you, don't seek retribution. Turn the other cheek. And, uh, and so I don't think that we have to look very far to see that there are many people who are not getting what is due them. Maybe you are here today and you feel that way about yourself. Maybe you feel you've been cheated out of cert certain benefits and certain privileges or whatever it may be. Maybe you're here and you feel like you have not gotten your due. Well, the reason you feel that way is because God has put inside of you a sense of what is fair, what is right, and that is justice. And as we look around our neighborhood, we can see many things that are not the way that they are supposed to be. So in light of this reality, what does it mean to be people who worship a God who has a heart for justice, calling us to be people who pursue justice and part of a justice-seeking church? And I want to take the last five minutes or so of this message and, uh, and talk with you about that. How do we live this out? Well, let's revisit the parable of the unjust judge that I read at the beginning of uh, the message because these, the answers are there. So look with me at verse 1. It says, he told them this parable so that they would always pray and not lose heart. And so here is the first truth that we should hold on to, that God is just. He has a heart for justice. And so, we, so even though we look at a world that is confusing and we realize that justice is not a characteristic of this present culture that we live in, we should not lose heart. We should not despair. Even in the, even in the face of the worst injustice, we should keep trusting God. And then we read in verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay over time? And the answer is no, he will not. So how do we respond to the face of injustice? How do we take action as, as a justice-seeking church? We cry out to God. 
Are the things that you see that are not the way they are supposed to be, are they part of your prayer life? Are you continually bringing them to God? If you yourself or someone you care about or a group you care about are not getting what is due them, are you crying out to God about that? And here is the interesting thing. When we cry out to God in prayer, we often become the answer to our prayers. And this is kind of hinted out in the rest of the passage. Look at verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. God is not just going to listen to our cries for justice. He is going to move. Now here's where it gets interesting. This parable says that there is going to come a day when Jesus steps back into history and he makes everything that is not the way it is supposed to be, be right. When he makes sure that every person gets what is due them. But we have to agree that that is not today. We don't see that in reality. That will be when the Son of Man comes to find if there is still faith on this earth. And so what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, as the parable starts out, we should pray and not lose heart. But what should we pray? What should we pray? We pray what Jesus taught us to pray that we might do and that we might do the works that he called us to do. Jesus taught us to pray in the very well-known prayer, the Lord's Prayer. What does the very beginning of it say? The first prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about what you're praying when you pray your kingdom come? We are praying, let that time when you make everything right and you give everyone what is due them, break in to the here and now. Break in to today. I like the way Chris put it a little bit later, earlier summing up, and I can't remember his words. He's a much better wordsmith than me. Um, and then that's the first thing. So we're praying that the kingdom will break into the here and now. And then we are also praying, Lord, let me be your hands and feet. Let me become broken bread and poured out wine in the here and now to see this come to pass. And so we are praying this. We are praying, Lord, in your kingdom, there is always fairness and no one is cheated or oppressed. Lord, will you make it a little bit now as it will be when you return. And what should I do, Lord, to be working on making it so? We are praying, Lord, in your kingdom, there is no poverty. There is only abundance and generosity. Will you make it a little bit now what it will be when you return? And what should I be working on to make it so? And we are praying, Lord, in your kingdom, there are no strangers or aliens, only citizens. Everyone is welcome. Will you make it a little bit now what it will be like when you return? And what should I be working on to make it so? We are praying, Lord, in your kingdom, there's no such thing as falsehood or using words for deception or to dishonor your name or other people. Will you make it a little bit now what it will be when you return? And what should I be working on to make it so? My friends, 
This is what it means to be a justice-seeking church. So Pastor Chris is going to come and he's going to encourage us to spend some time thinking about your own answers to these questions. Before God, spend some time thinking about these challenging questions and listen to what he says to you. And he's going to share with us some very real ways in which we can be an answer to the prayer, your kingdom come. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, we're going to reflect on this for a moment. We're not going to end service like we normally do. We're going to end service. Mandy is going to come up here, and she's going to sing a song over us as we reflect. Mandy, you can actually come on up here as well. Uh, and then we're going to watch a video testimony. Um, and so we're not going to end with our time of singing together like normal. We will reflect for the next few minutes. Um, I like how Pastor Bill put it. <laughs> uh, I, I think the way you worded it was, was better. Um, use me to make it a little bit more now like it will be when you return. Let's, let's be thinking about that. Let's be asking Jesus right now. Jesus, how do you want to use me? What does that look like? What does it look like for me to be broken bread and poured out wine for you, bringing your kingdom, your future kingdom into the here and now? It doesn't have to mean you joining an official ministry with our church, although it might look like that. We've got people who are serving in other organizations out there, being a big brother and big sister program, um, serving in um, different ways with other organizations. It doesn't have to be True Life Church, but True Life Church is involved in different things. We've got a homework club where we're tutoring kids. We've got a team that goes into an assisted living home to bring justice to the elderly. We've got a pregnancy center that we support, both financially, um, but also we're trying to form a group who would be willing to be sponsors for young women and couples in crisis pregnancies. And we have an interest list going for that. We've got uh, an interest list going for a new ministry uh, teaching English as a second language to help those who are foreigners, uh, immigrants to this country, uh, be better prepared and, 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 and better equipped to find jobs and, and navigate our society. Rebecca Carlson is going to be doing another life group soon that talks about racial division and injustice. So we've got different things as our church that you can find out more about. We've got a team that goes to a soup kitchen. But it also could look like you as an individual stepping into something. There's a few families who just started feeding homeless folks in Lakewood on uh, uh, one Saturday a month. It's not a true life ministry. They're just doing it, just, just, just exploring that. What might it look like for you? What has God put on your heart that you can maybe just be more fervent in prayer about? Maybe, maybe it's something you are quick to complain about on Facebook, but you haven't given much prayer to it. And like Pastor Bill said, as you pray, then the Lord might show you what you can do instead of sitting around waiting for the government to do something different or waiting for somebody else to do something different. He's called his people to be about justice, to bring his his kingdom justice to the here and now. So let's just reflect on this as Mandy sings over us.
Yeah. 
Let me ask a question. Does anybody feel like God's Spirit just put something on your heart that you know you have to explore more? Even if it just means praying about it more. God put anything and highlight anything? Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. Handful of you guys. Okay. Okay, good. Good. The rest of you, I would encourage you to keep praying, keep thinking about these things. There was a person I met with this past week, not in our church, outside of our church, an elderly person who um, feels like uh, he needs an advocate for some, for some care. And uh, I don't know what that looks like, but I, I want to be praying. That's one thing God put on my heart. Let me ask another question. Is there anybody here who has been the victim of injustice? You've been on the other side of it. Put your hand up. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Unfair treatment. Could be criminal. We're going to end right now with that video testimony I, I referenced. This is sort of the other side of the coin, right? We want to come alongside those who are... Who are um, victims of injustice. We want to be those people, but we also have to recognize that some, sometimes we are those people. Sometimes we have been those victims, and, and, and we carry around a weight, and sometimes that weight is, is very, very burdensome. Um, and this is a video testimony about, well, you'll see what it's about. <laughs> Why don't you take a look at the screen? This is Stephanie. From 2010 to early 2013, I was in an abusive relationship. Um, when that relationship ended, I had a lot of hatred in my heart for him, and wished bad things for him, and it was hard to move on. But I did end up getting into a new relationship, and I found God, and it was a slow moving path to get to know him. But somewhere down along that path, I think it was about 2016, when there was a, a church shooting, Dylan Roof, I had to wonder about forgiveness as those victims went before him and forgave him right away. And I asked my boyfriend, we have to, like, as Christians, we have to forgive people, like, to that extent that did something so horrible. You can easily be able to say that you forgive somebody and he said yeah like that's what as Christians we need to do we need to let that let that go and I had to sit with that for a long time and think about well that means that I have to forgive my abuser one way or another and it started off with just just at the thought of it was hard but I had to start praying for him and to just pray that he doesn't put hands on anybody else or pray that he finds God or finds peace. I thought I would be ready to see my, my abuser again and we ran into each other about a year later and at the sight of seeing him I went into a full-blown panic attack to which then led into months of depression, the deepest depression that I've ever had. And that's when I knew that I really needed to get on my path with God. 
I started going to church, I started reading the Bible, and turned to him for strength to come out of that depression. Cut to 2020, I found out that I was gonna be in the same building with that ex-boyfriend. And knowing that I was going to have to talk to him, I wanted to reach out to him to let him know that, hey, I'm gonna be here, I'm not going anywhere. I wanted to see if he was okay with that, comfortable with that, so I messaged him and he messaged me back in total shock and apologized for years of abuse and just reading his apology was almost more than enough for me. I cried, I felt I felt lighter even just in that in that receiving that message. I said I wanted to sit and have lunch and really make sure everything was peaceful so we would both be comfortable in seeing each other in the building. And, and as soon as he walked in the restaurant, he hugged me. And I was taken off guard, but at the same time, I saw a changed person that was walking through those doors. Somebody who used to be unable to smile and had darkness in his eyes, but he came in open arms and embraced me. We sat and he started apologizing right away, just went through every single thing that he's done, some of which things that I've forgotten, and telling me things that he's been through since our relationship. Drug use, it was time in jail, which caused him to have time for reflection on things that he had done wrong, and working the 12-step program. And in working the 12-step program, he told me that he had to make amends, which he made amends with a lot of people he did wrong, but he thought that he would never be able to make amends with me because of the run-in that we had years prior where he saw me have a panic attack and I didn't even know that he saw me have that panic attack. So he thought that amends with me was off the table but in sitting there and hearing how far he's come and that he is a new person essentially, I was overwhelmed with seeing that my prayers for him worked that God, whether he knew it or not, that God worked on him. And as much as I, it, I struggled with praying for him and wondered if it would ever do any good or is it gonna do good for me, is it gonna do good for him, how will, this, how will this work for me? I saw what it did not only for him, but now in turn freed me. And I told him after he had said everything, apologized for everything, I said, I forgive you. And he, his eyes widened and he just said, I can't believe that I'm hearing you say that you forgive me. I think that those, those words, I forgive you, are powerful and not enough people mean it. In a time where it's so easy to cancel people for things that they've done 10 years ago, five years ago, even we are evolving as people every day, learning from our mistakes every day and it's just possible that people change. I think that it was learning that Christ forgives us daily for any mistake, no matter how small or how big it is, brought me that strength and that I would hate to be held to the worst thing that I've ever done. I've done, I've done bad things before and I would hate to have that label and carry that around with me every day and for everyone to just know me as that because God has worked on me 
and knowing that God has worked on me and made me a better person, how can I hold somebody else to what they did to me 10 years ago? So leaving there, I felt lighter. I felt like the sun was shining brighter. I felt a weight lifted off my shoulders and I didn't realize that I was still holding on to some of that baggage that I had from that relationship. It was like a somewhat of a dark cloud, like a shadow even, that I didn't realize was still following me because I thought I was strong. I thought I'd moved on. I thought life was great. But it wasn't until I had that conversation with him and was able to tell him I forgive him that I realized that that was still with me and now it's gone. You know, everything is brighter. I'm, I'm happier. I'm a happier person and I'm more free. I think that I got justice in receiving peace. I think most people would see justice in this situation as him going to jail or him um, getting punished for directly what he did to me. Now he did do time in jail, but not for anything that he did to me, but justice for me in this situation is him being able to realize that he was wrong and able to apologize for what he did and make a change in who he is. That's justice for me. Let's stand. I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to specifically pray for those of you who are still perhaps carrying around a burden, a weight of an injustice that had been done to you in the past. I believe God may want the same kind of freedom that he gave to Stephanie last year. He wants that for you. Maybe you believe you have released that person or group of people or, or that system of oppression. Maybe you feel like you've released it and yet you can, if you were honest with yourself, you'd realize now, now it's still there. It's still there. It's still got a hold on me. I want to be able to release. I want to be able to forgive just as in Christ God forgave me. So Jesus, help us. We want to be a people of justice. We want to be a people of mercy. We want to be a people of forgiveness. Believing that those who are perpetrators of injustice can be changed. And by the power of your spirit, you can change of those people, we do not have to demonize them and keep a record of their wrongs for the rest of the, our lives. We can, we can release them. That doesn't mean that we're asking for them not to be held accountable if that's necessary. We're not asking that 
In some cases, there's not consequences, but we're releasing the need to have personal vengeance and personal retribution. We're releasing that and we're trusting you with them. And we're believing that prayer changes things. It can even change people. As we saw in this testimony of Stephanie, her prayers were answered. That young man was changed. He didn't go on continuing to abuse women. You can do that. Help us to believe you can do that. Because you are alive. You came back from the grave. You're on the throne. You are the king. You are the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You're at work in this world. You're at work in people. You're at work behind the scenes. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. We're deciding today to trust that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.